The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Well, we're going to get back into God's Word, so if you haven't already, could you um, please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be looking again uh, at this armor of God, as Gerard has just mentioned. If you're using one of those white Bibles at the back, it's on page 1107. And so uh, if you are here and you don't own a Bible, um, you're, more than you, you're more than welcome to use one of those Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, please allow that to be our gift to you. We'd love for you to take it home and, and read it. Um, we are going to be getting back into our series this morning uh, called Fearless, where we're looking at the armor of God. And, and really the, the whole point of this series is that life is hard. And, and very often, life is made even harder by the fact that we follow Jesus. Christianity isn't necessarily the most popular religion to be part of at the moment. And so we also know that we are called to live gospel-centered lives. And there is also an enemy who seeks us to not live gospel-centered lives. In fact, there is an enemy who wants us to forget that God loves us. And so God has told us here in his word about the armor of God, the the things that we can do to protect ourselves against the attacks of the enemy. Uh, Like we said, like um, Gerard mentioned just a few moments ago, next week, Kylan Lewis from Life Center Church in North Lakes is going to be coming up and uh, preaching. I'll be down there next week. And then uh, a few weeks after that, we've got some other guest speakers coming to help contribute to the series. So we've got a guy, young guy named Ben Peacock, who's an elder at Rosalie Baptist, as well as uh, Josh Lean, who's been to preach for us before. I think he preached for us at the end of last year, who's from Eastside Baptist Church as well. So that'll be really great to have those guys along. Um, kids, uh, as you know, as you can see, there's obviously no Life Kids program. We normally have a creche program and normally have a Life Kids program for the kids. Uh, we don't just through the holidays to give the, the Life Kids leaders a bit of a break, but also, and more importantly, kids, we want you to be here. We, we want you to be part of things. We want you to engage with things. Um, we want you to see what us adults do here on Sundays, and that is that we, we sit and we listen to God's Word being taught, and that's um, something that is really wonderful. And so you've got those... Uh, those worksheets for you to be able to use and to fill out. And adults, if you uh, fill out one of those worksheets as well, uh, I guarantee you that you're going to get more out of the sermon. Um, I guarantee you that you're going to understand more, you're going to engage more. If you're one of those people who likes to, I'm one of those people who likes to, you know, draw or write while I'm listening to something. I like to take notes. And so, by all means, no one's going to judge you for doing that. In fact, we're all going to be envious of you because you'll be the one who actually got the most out of the sermon that day. So by all means, do that. 
As we tackle the passage again, I want to just quickly cover, uh, revisit what we covered last week. So looking at the first few verses of that passage, in verses 10 to 13 in particular, Paul urges his readers not to rely on their own strength to live the gospel-centered life, but to be strengthened by the vast strength of the Lord. And the vast strength of the Lord is communicated to us in Ephesians as God's great love for us to give us new life in Christ. That's what the vast strength of the Lord means. And what Ephesians 6, 10 to 20 is all about is that there is, a, is that there is an enemy of God, Satan, who wants to separate us from God. He wants us to forget that God loves us. And therefore, says Paul, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so for the rest of this series, what we're going to be doing week by week is taking a look at each of these pieces of armor. Today we're going to be looking at the belt of truth. Next week will be the shield of righteousness. And the order won't necessarily go from left to right for our series, just because of the guest speakers and their preference to choose certain ones of those things. So there's orders going to be a little bit all over the place, but we will cover all of these pieces of armor. So let's pray, and then we'll get into God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray right now for the preaching of your word, that you would be with us. Holy Spirit, open our eyes to the truth of your word. Open our eyes to the glory of your word for how wonderful your word is. Lord, where we need to be encouraged. We, we, we covet your encouragement, Lord. Where we need to be rebuked, Lord, we receive that. We want that, Lord. We want to grow in our faith. So Jesus, teach us through your word this morning. Amen. Have you ever had the feeling that you're just not good enough? And not just from an outside perspective, not just that you don't have the skills, but really from an inside perspective. Like if anybody found out who you really were on the inside, like who you were behind closed doors, they would just totally reject you. A number of years ago, I heard about a study which aimed to assess feelings of guilt. Now, I've actually since forgotten where I've heard this study, and uh, I went looking for it this week and couldn't find any of it, which makes me think maybe the study didn't, didn't actually happen. Maybe, uh, maybe I just heard this. Maybe I just made it. Maybe I just dreamed this one time. I don't actually know if it's true or not. And in fact, considering uh, the questionable ethics of such a study, I kind of hope it's not true. But it went something like this. So let's pretend that it is true and this actually happened. A group of researchers sent an anonymous text message to 10 random people in one town with, the, with these words. The text message said, they know what you did, leave town immediately. And apparently, by the end of the day, eight out of 10 people had left town. Can you see why I hope that's not true? Like, <laughs> really hope that that wouldn't actually be the case. But whether or not it is actually true, it's a piercing thought, right? How would you respond if you got that? What parts of your soul and your mind would you go searching for thinking, what do they know about? What is it that I've been discovered about? It's interesting because it speaks to a universal thought of not feeling, universal issue of not feeling good enough. What if the world found out who I really was? What if they knew what I was like behind closed doors? What if they knew my thoughts? They would reject me. This is one of our greatest fears, right? That somebody would actually know who we were and then reject us because of that. And I don't think we need much convincing of this. 
like all of social media, all of public appearance, is just an exercise of trying to hide the imperfections of our lives and hoping that the world will accept the self-image that we put forward. For so many of us, we feel trapped and forced to try and present to the world a version of ourselves that's a bit better than who we really are. This area is what the biblical word righteousness speaks into. Righteousness means a right standing before God. To be righteous means that you are able to stand in front of the piercing eyes of God who can see everything and still be called right. And what the Bible teaches us is that our sin makes us unrighteous. And that feeling of being unrighteous before God is underneath every insecurity and underneath every single feeling that we feel that we're not good enough, that we don't measure up, that no one could ever love us, and that if we were found out, people would totally reject us. If they really knew who we were, they would reject us. The feeling of unrighteousness is underneath all of those things. In the world of psychology, this is addressed as an issue of self-esteem and self-image and is often remedied as accepting oneself. Now, that begins to deal with the issue, but it doesn't nearly go deep enough. Underneath our feelings of insecurity, our need to prove ourselves to the rest of the world, lies this issue of unrighteousness. This issue that we know there's something wrong with us, that we're guilty, that we're not actually right. And believe it or not, this has everything to do with the armor of God and the belt of truth. The idea of putting on the belt of truth means wearing the truths of God's word and his gospel in such a way that it holds everything else together. And my hope is this morning that as we work through this passage that we'll see that putting on the belt of truth is as simple as applying the truths of the gospel deep in our hearts. It means not only to subscribe to the truth of God's word, but actually to make God's true word, make the gospel adhesive in our hearts, to make the gospel really stick in our hearts. So when, when Paul speaks of the belt of truth, he is referring to the truth that is revealed to us in God's word. And understanding this is crucial to understanding what it means to put on the belt of truth. Paul is referring to God's word, the, the ultimate, universal, infallible, and eternal truth of God's word that has existed for centuries. And though claim after claim has come against it, Generation after generation have sought to drown out God's word. His truth remains. Other philosophies and worldviews and ideologies and regimes have sought, to, have sought to bring it down. They've crashed against it like great waves against a, a rock cliff. They come and cra- crash against it. And like great waves, they make a huge noise, a huge mess of things. And then like waves, they retreat, having made no dint at all. Friends, our Bibles are more than just words on paper. Our Bibles contain the self-revelation of God Almighty. And since he is the source of truth, his word is infallible truth. Kids, I'd like to talk to you for just a moment. You're going to come across a whole lot of people in your life telling you that you can't trust the Bible. Here's me telling you the opposite. You can trust the Bible. It is God's word, and you should, be able, you should build your life on God's word. Build your life on Jesus Christ. Now, someone might say, well, how on earth can you make a claim to knowing universal truth? There's no such thing as universal truth or ultimate truth. No one can say that their truth is universal. That would make it true for everybody. And that's just not true. 
Each person must find their own truth. And if it's true for them, they must live out their own truth. That largely sums up the attitude of our culture, where self-expressive individualism is the ruling factor of, the tr- of each person's truth for, the, for, each, for each individual. Now, if that's you, if you think that way, you've got a bit of a problem on your hands. Because to claim that there is no such thing as absolute truth is, in and of itself, an absolute truth claim. You must use a universal truth claim to assert that there is no such thing as universal truth. This is why the claims of Jesus stand in such stark contrast in our society, in our world. Many people will say, oh, Jesus was a nice teacher. He was a good guy, one of the best. Actually, Jesus said things like, I am, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's exclusivity, right? That's Jesus saying, I am the truth. There's no, no, one, there's no other way to the Father. There's no po- you can't earn your way here. No other person making a claim to this. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. That kind of thing would get Jesus cancelled these days. Jesus is the truth. You see, if you're seeking to live out your truth, that's okay, but your appetite is way too small. If you like truth, you'll love Jesus because Jesus claimed that he is the epitome of ultimate universal and eternal truth and that you and I can know the truth and that by knowing that truth, we will be set free. And so that truth is found only in Jesus Christ and in his scriptures. The Bible, which is God's primary method of revealing himself to the world, is the place where we find truth. And so, the first part of putting on the belt of truth is to be filling our hearts and our heads with God's word. Paul says this in Colossians 3, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. To fasten on the belt of truth, first of all, means to know this truth. And to do this, we need to be in God's word. If, we, if you were to give yourself a score out of 1 to 10, how you go at being in God's Word and whether or not God's Word is in you, what would you score yourself with? If we were to, to discuss a rating on how often you have substantial and satisfying times in God's Word, how would you rate yourself? And I ask this not because I want you to feel guilty or because I want you to squirm. I ask this because the more I've spoken to Christians who have been Christians for a very long time, the more I find people who struggle to be in God's word in any kind of regular basis. And additionally, they feel horribly guilty about it, horribly embarrassed to ask for help. And I don't want that to be the case for you. If, if Bible reading and having substantial and satisfying times in God's word is something that you struggle to have, or don't have it all, I would like to help. I would like to help. There is absolutely nothing to be gained from feeling guilty, and there is so much to be gained by sticking your hand up and saying, I need help with this. I'm in that boat. And so this is me putting out there as clearly as I can. If your Bible reading pattern is pus, if you just know, if you would be embarrassed by it, Rather than being embarrassed and being isolated by it, come and talk to me and say, yeah, I'm in that boat. Don't worry about making excuses or reasons. I don't need to hear them. Come and talk to me about it. If you feel uncomfortable talking to me about it, text me. Facebook message me. Send me an email. Write it on a piece of paper, scrunch it up and throw it at my face and that you don't, you don't have to see my response to it. I'll just get it. I'll know what that means. I want to help. We are a Bible-based church. That's who we are as a church. 
And I want us to grow in this. Not to feel ashamed or embarrassed about it, but actually grow in this. And so if that's you, if you say, listen, I, just, I want to get better. You, you might think nothing of you, what, you, what you're doing is that bad, but you might want to get better. Let's talk about that. Let's put some things in place. Let's help each other with that. So the first part of putting on the belt of truth is to know the truth of God's word. It's to be in the truth and know God's eternal, infallible, universal, doctrinal truths. However, if all we have is a knowledge of biblical doctrines, we've only gone halfway. To really put on the belt of truth, we need to make God's truth stick in our hearts. You see, you can have all the Bible knowledge in the world and still be vulnerable. So to put on the belt of truth helps us. Um, so sorry, to really know how to how the belt of truth helps us is, is to see it as a defense against the schemes of Satan, as Paul has said in Ephesians six. And so we need to know who the enemy is and what the enemy does. Satan is called many things in the Bible. He's called the deceiver, the tempter, the evil one, the prince of the power of the air, a murderer, and a liar. And those things are all true of him. But one of his key roles, in fact, his most key role is that he is the accuser. That's even what the word Satan means in the original Hebrew, a, a prosecuting attorney, an adversary, someone who stands against someone. He stands before God and stands against God's people to accuse them uh, before God of their sin. Revelation 12 tells us this, And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of, of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Satan is the accuser. He's like a prosecuting attorney. And this sheds light on why putting on the belt of truth is so important. If Satan is the accuser, then we have to silence him. So how does the belt of truth silence the accuser? How do we use the truth of God's word to silence the lies of Satan? That's the question we've got to ask to understand what the belt of truth is. That's the question we're asking right now. How does the belt of truth silence the accuser? Satan's purpose in, in, his, in accusing us is to discourage us in our faith. He wants you and I to be convinced that God does not love us, that we could not be loved. God never loved us, and nor will he ever love us. That's the, that's the motivation behind Satan's accusations. He wants us to think that God's patience with us is wearing thin. He's growing tired of us, and he generally regrets ever saving us in the first place. He wants us to believe that we're special in a bad way, that our sins are far worse than the sins of the person sitting next to us in church. And so how could he ever really love us? That's his purpose in accusing us. Satan can't persuade God to stop loving us, but he can convince us that he can convince us that we are unlovable. And the Bible tells us that he stands before God day and night, accusing us of our sin before God. And somehow, in all of that, we pick up on these accusations. He stands before God, accusing us, accusing us 24-7, and somehow we pick up on the accusations. Tim Keller says it's like the trial in the courtroom is being broadcast, and our conscience is picking up, on, up the signal and playing it live in our minds 24-7. In this courtroom, God is the judge. The devil is the prosecuting attorney, and we're in the orange jumpsuit on trial. 
And Satan shows the judge our sins and our failures. And he uses them to build a case against us. And he uses these sins and failures like memories and they flash in front of our minds. And they are as vivid as, they, as if they happened yesterday. And he's saying, look at what you've done. You're a mess. How on earth could God ever love someone as messed up as you? And this is what is underneath our insecurities, our feelings of inadequacy, our feelings that we're not good enough. Secular modern psychology will tell us that this is the realm of self-esteem, and that's a start, but it doesn't go deep enough. Now, just in case you think I'm against uh, seeing a counselor or getting psychological help, I'm not. I'm all for that. But what the devil is doing here is he's going to things that we've done in the past and he's churning them up like digging sand underwater and he's stirring up the guilt and the shame and this is what generates those feelings of never being good enough. You see, these accusations make us feel ashamed. And shame is something that has been part of the human condition right from when sin first entered the world. If you go back to the very first time that the word shame is ever used in the Bible... It's in Genesis 2, when Adam and Eve were in the garden and were told that they were naked and unashamed. Now, far more than saying that their nakedness was something sexual, it tells us that neither of them actually had anything to hide. There was no shame because there was nothing to hide. The concept of shame didn't exist. They didn't need to cover up their vulnerabilities because there was no sin. And then in Genesis 3, they obeyed God. And they immediately tried to cover themselves up. Why? Because shame had entered. And they hid from God. And when God asked them why they were hiding, the man said, I heard you and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Sin separates us from God, not just because God is holy, but also because of our shame. And the schemes of the devil are the, are the same as they've always been. He leans in on those past sins. They are the key piece of evidence against us. And he wants us to be trapped by our shame. He wants us to feel like we must hide from God because of our shame. Satan says, you are guilty. You have no right to come before God because you're a sinner. Look at what you've done. Look at who you are. How could God ever love someone like you? Sure, he might love the person next to you, but you, come on. You've gone way too far. And what he's doing is he's loading up the guilt and shame on us. And we need to remember those are two very different things. Guilt and shame are two different things. Guilt says, I've done something wrong. <clears throat> shame says, I am something wrong. Guilt says, I've screwed up. Shame says, I am a screw up. Guilt says, I'm mess I've messed up. Shame says, I, I am actually messed up. And Satan schemes to accuse us of both guilt and shame. He, wants, he not only wants to remind us that we've sinned, but also to believe that we are defined by our sin. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. Last year, I was going through a pretty dark period of fear and weakness and anxiety. My counselor, who is a wonderful Christian man, suggested that when I'm feeling anxious, whenever I'm having those, that, those dark moments, to focus in on what the inner monologue is going on through my mind. <clears throat> At first, I didn't know what he meant, and I actually didn't think that there was any kind of inner monologue. But then a few weeks later, I was going through a pretty dark moment, a pretty dark time, and having some pretty significant anxiety, and that had been triggered by something that I had done that I couldn't fix. I, I tried to fix something in a house, and I had only made it worse. 
And for whatever reason, that triggered me. And the moment I started, and the moment I, that triggered me, I started to feel anxiety, and I started to hear this voice, this inner monologue, and this voice said this, of course you screwed this up. You screw everything up because you're a screw-up. And I realized that, that actually, that's, that's a voice I've been listening to for a very long time. That voice is actually underneath a lot of my anxiety. That voice that accused me of messing up my life beyond repair. The devil is cunning and ruthless, and there is no mercy in him. Now, sometimes the accusations are about something that we've done, and sometimes the accusations are about something that has been done to us. And the memories of these things suddenly flash in our minds, and the feelings of guilt and shame rush in. And these memories are always incredibly vivid, and they're always blown out of proportion, and we become convinced that if anyone finds out, they'll reject us forever. And if we listen to the accuser's case against us, we'll start to believe that God could never love us. Have you ever felt these things before? Have you ever felt as if you're not good enough? So what are we to do? What is the defense? Well, some people will attempt to ignore these these accusations. Some people will try and dull these accusations with alcohol or entertainment or shopping or work. We might pacify ourselves by, by pretending that what we did wasn't actually that bad or that actually happens to a lot of people or that a lot of people struggle with this. Maybe we'll take our culture's remedy and try and accept ourselves and live our truth. Some people might, ex- might suggest that the best defense against the accuser is to think on all the good that we've done, and that will outshine the bad. But friends, these are just vine leaves. These are just vine leaves. Do you remember what Adam and Eve did when they were confronted with their shame? They dressed themselves in vine leaves and hid. It wasn't enough to cover up their shame. And so God covered their shame for them. And in one of, the, one of the earliest hints of the gospel in the Bible, we're told in Genesis 3.21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Leather. How do, we, how do you get skins, how do you get leather without death? You see, we're dealing with guilt and shame in front of an infinitely holy God. We need more than just vine leaves to cover our shame. We need more than just vine leaves to make us righteous. We need someone to take our death, and it's the only way to cover our shame. And this points us to the death of Jesus Christ, the one who died in our place. Through Jesus' death, our guilt is lifted from us, and our shame is covered. Our identity is no longer dictated by what we've done or what we continue to do or what has been done for us or to us. Our identity is actually dictated by what Christ has done for us. And it's here in the gospel that we find the only way to defend against the accuser. You see, to put on the belt of truth is to go to the truth of the doctrines of God's word and see that at the center of all the doctrines of God's word is Jesus Christ, our advocate. Our defense against the accuser is Jesus Christ who advocates on our behalf. Now, I'm hugely indebted to Tim Keller for helping me understand this in some of the things that he writes. The Apostle John writes this, My my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And Paul says in Romans 8, 
Who is to condemn? Christ is Jesus, is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So where is Jesus right now? Jesus is in the courtroom. And he's at the right hand of the judge. And while there is an accuser who points to our flaws, there is also an advocate, Jesus Christ. And because of his great love for us, he died for our sins. He took our place on the cross. And that there is the truth of truths. Every time the accuser brings up our sin, Jesus Christ the righteous is there saying, yeah, he sinned, but I've already paid for that. I've paid for that sin. There's the accuser and there's the advocate. And what we've got to do is tune out what the accuser is saying about us and tune in to what the advocate is saying about himself. Because we, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are in him. You see, when Jesus becomes our advocate, when Jesus advocates on our defense, he doesn't come to the judge talking, talking about us and saying, come on, God, he isn't actually that bad. Can't we just sweep it under the rug? Can't we just pretend that never happened? Can't we just, you know, God, lots of people actually struggle with this. Can't we just, uh, what's so bad about it? Jesus doesn't say, come on, God, she's not a bad person. Look at how much good she did in the community. Look at how hard she's worked. Look at how hard, how hard she tries. Look at all that she's sacrificed. When Jesus advocates for us at the right hand of God, he doesn't do so by trying to minimize sin, by trying to make us look better than we are. He advocates for us on the basis of the justice of God. He says, God, your law is perfect. It is just that someone has to die for, this, for the penalty of their sin. And look, I have already paid for it. That's what the advocate does. He doesn't point to us. He doesn't point to us and say, look how good they were. Look at all the good they've done. He points to himself and says, look, I'm good, Lord, and I died for their sin. Their sin has been paid for. Christ, our advocate, means that he stands next to God and advocates on our behalf. And his case is what cost him his own life. Jesus' case for us is the cross. And that means that when we're in in the depth of despair, when we're in the pit, and we feel all the memories of guilt and shame are coming up. And those things that we did years ago, the things that happened to us so long ago, come up and they, they try to convince us that we're no, not worthy to come before God. When those things happen, we can say, hey, devil, you have no stand here. And, and devil, you know, you're right, I am a sinner, but you don't know the half of it. And, and yes, I deserve to be on trial, but, but Satan, your enemy paid the price for my sin. So you have no claim over me anymore. The debt has already been paid, and it can't be paid again. Fastening on the belt of truth is remembering the truth of the gospel and wrapping that around us, tightening it it around us to protect us from the accuser. It's looking at the central truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and being assured of our salvation because of the gospel. Putting on the belt of truth is confidence in our salvation because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So when we're feeling inadequate and insecure, when we have that feeling that we're not good enough, we've got to remember the truth of the gospel. And here's some verses that can help us remember this. When we're we're reminded of our sin, the truth of God's word says in Hebrews 8.12, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I I will remember their sins no more. 
when we feel unrighteous, we can let the truth of God's word remind us that God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians. When we're feeling those deep feelings of shame, we can go to the truth of God's word that tells us everyone who believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. When we think that God is growing tired of us, we can remember the truth of God's word that tells us that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we feel isolated and alone and as if no one, could dis- no one could understand or help us, we can go to the truth of God's word which tells us that by our faith we have been joined to the body of Christ and we are members of it. And when one member suffers, all suffer together. And when one member is honored, all rejoice together. And when we begin to believe that our sin defines us, we can go to the truth of God's word which tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Friends, when the accuser comes and reminds us of our sin, may we put on the belt of truth. May we let the truth of God's word dictate who we are. May we let the truth of Christ dwell in us richly. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 